right, welcome back to Rubrics, a St. Timothy's podcast. It is October. It is the greatest month of the year, primarily because it is baseball playoff season. And I'm going to open us with uh, a very serious quote. Oh, I thought you were going to say a collect for baseball. Oh, no, so not a collect, good, but yeah, it is, yeah. it is a, a philosophical quote uh, about baseball from David Bentley Hart. Hmm. I know there are those who will accuse me of exaggeration when I say this, but until baseball appeared, humans were a sad and benighted lot, lost in the labyrinth of matter, dimly and achingly aware of something incandescently beautiful and unattainable something infinitely desirable, shining up above, and the Epirian of the ideas. But throughout most of the history of the race, no culture was able to produce more than a shadowy sketch of whatever glorious mystery prompted those nameless longings. That is from his uh, hyperbolic article, A Perfect Game. But it's, it's one of my favorite about um, you know the philosophy of baseball and how it differs from other sports. Um, but that is, you know, a good intro to say it's it's my time of the year. I'm I'm watching playoff baseball. I'm enjoying every minute of it. Um, my my team, the Texas Rangers, beat your uh, in-laws team, the Tampa Bay Rays, yeah, last game night. Game one. Yes. And, does David uh, Bentley Hart think everyone scores? Does he think everyone scores? Or everyone wins? No. Um, no, he does not. He, That's inside baseball, no pun intended. David Bentley Hart is a universalist. He is, yes, yes. Which um, means he believes that all, all, all somehow all, will be saved. All dogs go to heaven. Yeah, yeah. No, he has a he has a great. Yeah, it's a great article, but he, you know his his point, uh, and it's so relatable as a baseball fan. Is you know as the the sunlight and the season of of growth kind of starts to dim away, and you know the the death of winter lies before us. Um, after this long season, you know, one team is victorious and the rest go into the darkness and defeat. And at the first sight of spring, we do it all over again. You know, that, that stupid hope, he calls it, that maybe next year, maybe this year will be the year. And for 29 teams, you know, it's just that cycle over and over again. Of, what is your favorite baseball hope. movie? This, this, may be cr- this, may baseball be, movie? this may be cringy banter, but I've never asked you that. Um, I've never seen Field of Dreams. Oh, that's mine. Seen, well, see that that quote reminds me of of the philosophical underpinnings of yeah. of Phil. You ought to watch it tonight. I, I need to. It's need really to, a good but, movie. Um, you know, it's it's so cultural that I've I've avoided it. I don't know. Um, you I like will, the, you I, will love it. It I is. I watched the rookie you, growing up, yeah. and that's probably my favorite with Dennis Quaid. Um, there's a there's a great line in it where you know he's this old man in the minor leagues around all these kids, and he finally kind of accepts like. I'm going to let this play out. I'm going to have some fun with it. And he goes up to this kid and looks at him in the mirror. And he says, you know, what we get to do today, Brooks. We get to play baseball. And they both, you know, have this big smile. But have you seen um, The Natural? not seen The you, Natural. Okay. Field of, um, not field of I games. spend my time watching um, baseball, I guess, not baseball movies. I'm, Sandlot? <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen The Sandlot. You're killing me, Smalls. Yeah, there we go. You need to watch the, you need to watch, um, the Natural with uh, Robert Redford. Okay. Uh, and um, Barbara Hershey. So my two favorite baseball movies actually have a philosophical or th- even theological, mm-hmm. um, you know, context in a sense. The the themes that are drawn out, Field of Dreams and The Natural, both very good movies. I've seen Moneyball. You know, Moneyball's good. I'm a big, big stat guy, so I like that one. Yeah, uh, Bentley Hart makes a, a wonderful point. There's another philosopher um, who wrote a book called Infinite Baseball. Um, and I'll, I'll close with this. But he, he talks about how baseball is so different than other sports because... 
Um, a, it's not warlike. It's not a battle over territory, maybe like football is. It's this um, hmm. drama that unfolds where there's no actual territory to fight over it. You know, everyone's yeah, kind of... it's true. It's, it's a battle almost against yourself. You know, how good can I perform? Um, and it is, you know, a height of human achievement. And, um, but... You know, it's the it, height of human achievement. That's what that's what David oh, Hart okay. says. You know, that to hit a baseball is is well, hitting, one of the hardest things. It is you the hardest thing in sports, I think. Yeah. To hit a hundred mile an hour fastball. I, I could never. No. Um, as someone who played baseball in high school, I'm under no illusion of my own skill. I, I could never. But um, this philosopher out at you know California wrote a book, and and I love the way he puts it. It's a it's a blame game. Every step of the way, we're trying to decide who gets credit for things. Was that a hit? Or was that an error? Hmm. Was that a strike? Should the batter be held responsible? He should have hit that? Or is it a ball? The pitcher is held responsible because it should have been a, a better pitch. I mean, he talks about how it's this never-ending cycle of trying to assign blame and credit. And, um, you know, it, it's not as black and white as that Well, and on that, I mean, <laughs> to take a, again, philosophical, theological perspective, um, the role of AI mm-hmm. and calling balls yep. and strikes, yep. or fair it's, or foul, it's taken away that essential part of the game. So that makes one question: Who is a more appropriate judge of failing, mm-hmm. human failing, yep. uh, or success? Uh, yeah. Other human beings, or that which human beings create? Yeah, a, that's a, a deeper question than is, one might think. A horrible thing is to put the strike zone up on the TV because people like me get to sit there and say. That was a strike. Can't believe you missed that call. Um, when there's no way I could call a perfect game, you know, with 100 mile an hour fastballs that tail away. But anyway, it is baseball season. I'm excited. Congratulations. It's also just October. I mean, cooler <laughs> weather is here. I know you are lamenting the shorter yeah, days ahead. Yeah, I'm a long day guy. Yeah, but but the cool weather um, is a welcome reprieve for me. Speaking of movies, worldly entertainment and, and movies. Um, today's topic is. Um, worldly entertainment. How, what should the Christian approach to maybe secular movies, music? Um, is there a thing is as there, is there sacred s- entertainment versus yeah. worldly entertainment? Are they all one and the yeah. same? Should um, you know Christians adopt the the Puritan approach and avoid any entertainment at all costs for the danger it causes? Or you know, is there a better approach? But before we get into that, today's the feast of Saint Francis, so I will open with his prayer. Um, there's a lot you should go read about St. Francis. He's more than just an animal lover. Um, he did he did preach to the birds and love the animals, but he was, you know, very strict in his vow of poverty. He received the stigmata. He is um, a saint beyond maybe the garden statue, as you said in our staff meeting today. Yeah. So he, he's worth a, a good read today. Let us pray. Most high, omnipotent, good Lord, Grant unto thy people grace to renounce gladly the vanities of this world, that following the way of blessed Francis, we may, for love of thee, delight in thy whole creation with perfectness of joy. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. To get us started, uh, do you remember as a kid, was there a particular movie or something that you watched that scarred you, for lack of a better word? I mean, was there a scene that really stuck with you? 100%. I was, (laughs) it's funny you asked that question. I was probably seven or eight, maybe seven. Yeah. 
in um, Litchfield Beach, uh, outside of Myrtle Beach. My family had rented a, um, a my whole family, like mm-hmm. brothers, aunts, uncles, yeah. you know, 40 people, whatever, rented a house. And I remember walking through the living room and my cousins who were 10 years older than me were watching the original Amityville Horror, which I think came out in like 73. Mm -hmm. And I remember, this is really interesting, I remember the scene of these poor children being murdered in their um, attic uh, and the the time on the clock I think was 3.15. And if you've heard me talk... To this day, 44 years of age, almost every night I wake up at 3 o'clock or 3.15, and I don't know if it is some sort of dark force that's that's, uh, around me, if it's that early childhood trauma that I never got out, or if my bladder is just timed at this point in my life. Could be all three. But yeah, I remember that scene vividly Mm -hmm. walking through and and not trying to see it, but just walking through to, you know, get some cookies or something and being absolutely scarred by it. And now I will never own a house. Um, that's probably another movie you haven't seen, classic horror movie, the Amityville Horror. I'm not. Yeah. If, if you, those who have seen it will know the the attic windows look like eyes, uh, and I would never ever have a house funny. that. No, 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 terrifies me. Well, Ryan Reynolds was in the remake. Mm. So, um, but the original is have really good. Have you seen good. the remake? Uh, bits and pieces, but yeah. I can't. I can't go through it. There's something that really stands out for me um, that traumatized me like that. But I remember. You know, we we talked about this a little bit yesterday as a kid. Um, the amount of violence I was exposed to as a young young child, just from, I mean, TV shows, and and, and we're gonna get into. I'm not I'm not a puritan. I'm not saying Nor don't I. watch TV, yeah, no. but um, it was a little shocking how much violence I was exposed to through, you know, well rated age appropriate movies. Um, and I remember even, you know, in middle school when people were into watching horror movies, that was kind of the big thing when I was there. The, the presence of, like, demons and all these horror movies or allusions to them. Um, I remember, you know, as a, as a young kid thinking, this might not be the best for me to dwell on, yeah. but uh, it was entertaining. So, you know, I, I thought, it was, thought it was fun. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it is shocking. I'm, I'm sure many people share your um, experience of well, one memory sticking out of, you know, oh, my goodness. And oh, yeah, absolutely. And for, for well, a long time. Well, and my wife's is <laughs> a movie called Silent Night, Deadly Night, which, again, probably 84, 85. Yeah. She was probably with a group of people, family members who were watching it. She was much too young, terrified. And so she will not watch horror movies. Yeah. She will not watch... Um, even things like Jaws, because she's oh, wow. from Florida, yeah. and she likes yeah. to go in the ocean, and ignorance is bliss. But you and I were having a conversation yesterday, which sort of mm-hmm. uh, um, preceded this topic conversation, was I went to see the comedian John Chris yeah. Saturday in Roanoke with my, um, with my daughter, who's at Roanoke College. And John Christ is a well-known, successful mm-hmm. comedian with um, more than Christian overtones, his his primary audience really what you know is Christians. Mm-hmm. He got a bit mainstream, and then he had a bit of a fall from grace uh, right during um, COVID and took a hiatus for about a year. Got some help. Now he's reemerged and bigger than ever. Mm-hmm. But I went to see him, and it was a, it was really interesting. And one of the things that I'm actually 
uh, I think I'm going to have in my homily is um, how I don't when I was when I was growing up in the church and and learning how to preach by watching preachers the 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 fad at that time in the churches that I uh, was around were to open up with a joke yeah because that will warm the audience to you and then you can actually give them the substance and it's a horrible way to do it because it, it is it's a place of insecurity that what you're offering yeah. is is not is not um, nobody mistakenly hearing. finds their way to a exactly. pew on Sunday morning exactly. now there there is something to be said to 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 introduce someone to a complicated topic right. by right. getting them to a point where they can relate to something. Now, you may be funny in a, in a sermon or maybe humorous, but to tell a joke that's unrelated is, is, is pointless. But what I do love to watch, I love to watch and study comedians because mm-hmm. I think they're the best communicators we have in society. Yeah. And I think comedians, for the most part, are maybe the last people whom we have given permission to tell us the truth yeah. about things and they can make us think about the world and our lives and the absurdity of how we try to control things and make us laugh at ourselves mm-hmm. um, but also to to get us to think critically mm-hmm. about ourselves and even comedians that may not be the most um, wholesome do a really good job if you can listen to what they're saying of getting you to think about something to a group of people who otherwise would not be open to thinking about that topic mm-hmm. for instance you know as an example so at this concert there were i mean this um what do you call a comedian show 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 i guess at this show thousands of people were there um most of them i could tell were church going people yeah. because groups of christians kind of you can tell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, you stand know. Out sometimes. If you're a white evangelical Christian in a group, eh, you can stand tell. Out. You can tell. Um, there's just a vibe, and some are wearing like discipleship t shirts, and you can tell they were there with their small group and they saw their pastor over there and wave. It was really kind of interesting. And I was there with, with my daughter. But he was talking about growing up Christian in the 90s, mm-hmm. and he was homeschooled, and he was saying it was just confusing because, in terms of entertainment, is that when it comes to anything that was sexual in nature, there was an over-the-top reaction mm-hmm. of fast-forwarding or stopping yeah. or whatever. But violence was fair game. Uh, fair game, and you know he was he you know he made a comment that like in the movie Braveheart, there are a couple of sexual scenes, and there was just really weeping and gnashing of teeth about those scenes and fast-forwarding it and commenting about how awful this is. But then they all loved and were giving high fives when throats were being yeah. slit. Blood you know, in bl- it's one of the most violent movies that you you can see, mm. especially when it came out in the '90s. And he was making those points, and it made a lot of sense. I mean, yes, I mean, that was what I remember mm-hmm. um, um, being sort of the the Christian zeitgeist, mm-hmm. at least in the South, more conservative Christian mm-hmm. people is um, the entertainment or movies or music was uh, bad, evil, but then it was it was a pick and choose kind yeah. of thing, which which hurts the witness of what we're trying to say about what is good, what is helpful, and what is not helpful by um, by, you know, allowing these horrible scenes mm-hmm. but then really speaking hard against things that comparatively speaking may not be as as damaging not yeah. saying they're all great but but it was it, it was a confusing witness was the point he was making mm-hmm. and everyone was laughing yeah. and, I'm, and, I, and I'm experience. hoping people I'm hoping some wheels were turning and people were thinking yeah that that doesn't make a lot of sense 
why violence is okay, but this wasn't. And then you sort of look at our you look at our society where you have all kinds of violent behaviors mm-hmm. and and is there a con- I mean, I'm not saying these are all homeschool Christians who are doing the acts of violence, yeah. but but there is a cultural attitude there. And how do we approach entertainment? A numbness to violence, yeah. you know, inability to recognize the effects because you see it in a video game and then you respawn yeah. or you start the movie over. And it seems right now we have, um, I've never really gotten into the banned book discussion. Yeah. I just, it hasn't interested me. So I don't know what's Ten. on there. Um, some I can might see uh, a point depending on the age of the kid. Correct. Others I, I don't know. Um, but I remember Harry Potter when it came out. A lot of book burnings of Harry Potter. Remember that I've never read Harry Potter, not because I'm against it. My children loved it. It just doesn't interest me. Yeah. It's, it's not my genre. It. It's, it's not my genre of literature. It's you fine. know. Yeah. Um, but this is something that I don't think the church as a whole has has really spoken about with a pastoral clarity yeah. that made sense and is rooted in our tradition. Yeah. I'd never have spoken about it. No, no really. I, I, we, you know, thought of this idea and thought it was good because yeah. it's not something people yeah. talk about a lot. I want to make the case as we kind of jump in of of the the potential or the power for, for movies especially, but entertainment broadly, and why they can be good and why they can be bad. Because I think when people approach it, they're, they've got their assumptions. Um, if you are unwilling to pick and choose what movies you watch based on your faith, not much is going to change your mind. I mean, some people just, they, let me watch what I want to watch. If it's entertaining, I like it. I don't want to think about it too much. And we, we take that passive approach to, to film. We, you know, people will say, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. It doesn't affect me. I'm just watching it to be entertained, but it doesn't affect me. And I want to kind of make the case for a second that um, the whole point of it is to affect us, um, is to teach us mm-hmm. something. So, you know, I, I read a book one time about um, film and philosophy, um, especially in one director's movies. And, and they kind of set the stage, the author did, by talking about the nature of film in general. And he said something really interesting, that film intentionally um, distorts reality, not because it's trying to trick us, but because that's what makes it compelling. If you are watching a movie... um, It's what we want. Exactly. That's why we pay for the ticket. Yeah, we want to be entertained. But, you know, he gives gives two good examples. He says, one, in a, not a negative sense, but in a, a, you know... uh, gruesome violent sense maybe um if you've ever seen psycho you know the woman who is yes no the camera lingers on what her eyeball yeah he says if you saw that in reality you would never focus on her eyeball but the the film kind of forces you to to gaze into that lifeless eye and it's it's distorting reality because it tells you what to focus on um it might even give you a scene that you could never possibly see, like an aerial shot of a city. You can never actually see that. So it's it's presenting reality in a slightly distorted way because it wants to teach you something. It wants to get you to focus on something that you might miss. A positive aspect of that, and this is where film can be so, um, you know, theologically or philosophically compelling, is that it presents beautiful things or virtue in a way that you might miss on first glance. It might show you, uh, you know, a, a scene that you could probably go and see anytime you want, but it might linger on the sunset a little bit more. It might linger on a bird soaring through the air a little bit more. And it, it stirs you to think about, you know, these beautiful aspects of creation um, 
differently than you might if you were standing in the same spot it was as it was filmed and you know with with cgi this takes on a whole new meaning because we can literally create realities um that are nowhere to be found in the world but but the point remains that the reason we find movies compelling is because they take a story or a reality and distort it slightly to make us feel something it makes us laugh it makes us feel sorrow it makes us feel joy or it makes us appreciate beauty um, it makes us, you know, shy away from, you know, a horrible act of violence. That's why we find them compelling. Or the irony is, in the rare occasion, it can do the opposite. And you and I, God willing, will never fight in a war. Right. So we have no, we have no context or no understanding as to what that is, what like. That is like. But there are some, like Saving Private Ryan, right. American Sniper. Yeah two very, very violent movies mm -hmm. that do not glorify war, right? but make war awful. Yeah. And, and no one wants to, to be a part of that. And that is a, is a gift. It's mm -hmm. hard to watch. Um, the Passion of the Christ served yep. that role for many, is to bring what had been sanitized mm -hmm. to, a, to give a different perspective. It's still... Right. It's still one's interpretation. It's still all the things you mm -hmm. said, but but it has a way of both distorting reality, but at the same time of bringing some clarity to what yeah. is true at the same time. It, it chooses what to uncover. Absolutely. Um, and you know the, the the book I was referencing quotes um, like Plato when he says, "Beauty gives the soul its wings when it encounters beauty." You know, it's what allows it to kind of take flight. Or he quotes some other philosophers that say, "Plato's great when you talk about the cave." I mean, right, that's that's the right. perfect image of mm -hmm. of cinema, entertainment, yes. cinema. Yeah, and he quotes other you know philosophers who say it's when we uncover things that is this element of truth, um, and that's kind of what film does. It strategically chooses certain things to uncover and present to us, but also you know get rid of the philosophical language in your own reality if if a film was the exact same thing as your reality you would never want to watch it there'd be no point no it, we'd like it because it is this different alternative reality this almost escape from our mundane mm -hmm. world that allows us to be you know exposed to things we might not normally be exposed to that's why we like it so the only thing you can't say is that film or tv or movies doesn't affect you because there'd be no reason to watch it if it didn't affect you mm -hmm. So I think if we can start there and all agree on that, that allows us to have some conversation about how is it affecting us. I think the important part is, as long as the director and the studio and the consumer are both in, and that yeah. we, this is a contract that we're entering yeah. into, and that you're, you're producing something, I'm paying for it, I know what it is, and you know what you're doing, that is maybe the first step in mm -hmm. having a healthy understanding and relationship with this and, and not assuming, as you said, this is A, how things are, or B, how they should be. Yeah. It's, it's, it's entertainment. It's, mm -hmm. It is a product that we pay for to affect us in a way that ideally we understand what we're getting into. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that way we can make decisions as to about, does this affect me for good Mm -hmm. Or does this pull me away from, from where I need to be? Yeah. I want to read a couple of verses from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Um, it's probably verses people have heard before, but it's, it's a good reminder that um, we are called to a certain calling of what we pay attention to, of what we you know, listen to and, and seek out. Uh, this is where Paul says, Finally, beloved, 
or brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul reminds us that pay attention to what you're paying attention to. Um, I, you know, I, I saw this great quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson. I've never heard this, but he, he said, a man is what he thinks about all day long, or you, you are what you enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what are you thinking about? What are you putting in front of you? That is what you will become. I think we all have this... Um, you know, naive, heightened ability of ourselves, that we are some stone fortress, you know, impenetrable, nothing affects me. Uh, I think men are, you know, especially, you know, culpable of this, that, you know, nothing can affect me. I, I've, uh, I've kind of got this container sealed around me. Um, and that's just not true. That's not how humans operate. Things are put in front of us and we respond to them, whether positively or negatively. Um, that's just how we navigate the world. We're, we're sensual beings. We interact with our senses. And so when we are watching a movie, the, the question we should always be asking is, what is this directing my mind to? Um, I think a, a good you know question to jump off right now is, should Christians, or does this mean that we can never watch movies that have any sin in them whatsoever? What would, your, what would be your response to that? Oh, no. I mean, I, I don't think that's the case at all. I mean, and I would take my, I mean, to, to, to jump to it, if you, sex and violence is through the Bible. Yeah. And, um, and oftentimes that is presented in, as, as the result of brokenness and rebellion. This yep. is what happens, and it's a tragedy, yeah. and there's some awful things in the Bible. Um, and so, again, what is the role? What is mm-hmm. the point of it? And so, I mean, on the other hand, we're, we're called to be people of the light, and we're mm-hmm. not going to be able to live in a silo where these things aren't around us. Yep. So we have to understand um, how we can resist. I mean, I saw a, um, I saw a painting today uh, online. Um, I love art, and so I'm always mm-hmm. looking at various artists. And it was uh, a painting of um, Saint Anthony of Egypt. Mm. So Saint Athanasius wrote a wonderful yeah, bi- biography of Saint Anthony. Anthony. And if you remember, Saint Anthony, who was a desert monk, was tormented by visions, mm-hmm. you know, sexual images and mm-hmm. violent images. And there was this painting of Saint Anthony looking straight to the viewer, and he is surrounded. By, by by demons by nude women ah interesting yeah okay. I mean art I mean, it was it was artistic and beautiful right. but it was clearly yeah. alluring women and they're all around him mm-hmm. you know and so you sort of see him is that is it even even if we cut ourselves off from the television or the internet that's not going to cut off the the images right. or the temptations they're there they're internal they're mental and so we have to be able to deal with them in every form they come in right. you know either if you're flipping through the television you see something you didn't choose or you, god knows everyone's been on the internet and all of a sudden you, somehow you you know you stumbled upon something especially twitter that you didn't that you didn't want to see but you close your eyes yeah. what do you see right so um yeah i mean i think i think there is we have to be able to use good sensible discernment mm-hmm. in what we're doing uh and how and how we understand um what is good and what is what is not good for us mm-hmm. so if, if film is choosing to uncover something and teach us something then the question we really should be asking is what is it 
teaching us about sin if it depicts sin? When is it teaching us about violence and if it depicts violence? I think a great test for war movies is their willingness to acknowledge the, you know, horrific nature of war. Do you hate war after watching the yeah, movie? Yeah, that's, that's always a good, um, yep. you know, you mentioned Saving Private Ryan. The, the book I was referencing earlier is a book about Terrence Malick and his films. Same summer that Saving Private Ryan comes out, he has a movie come out, The Thin Red Line. And, you know, both are this approach to war where um, you shouldn't leave relishing it, thinking how great, how awesome was that. It should leave with a pit in your stomach. Um, and that, and that's a good way to kind of mentally do this test. Um, when you leave it, are you desiring more of that violence or that sin, or are you kind of disgusted by it? Yeah, I remember being a little boy. I, I loved, I grew up in a time capsule. I love the 1950s Fess Parker, Davy Crockett movies. And so oh, yeah, one yeah. of my favorite, favorite movies was the, he did several, but was the original one where, you know, Fess Parker is Davy Crockett with Sam Houston and, and Jim Bowie and mm-hmm. defending the Alamo, you know, your neck of I think the woods. I've seen that. And, you know, in these, in these movies, it's a Disney movie, it's 1950s, when, when they're shot by Santa Ana's forces, it just looks like they have a stomach cramp. Yep. You know, they kind of they just lurch a little bit and kind of fall over and that's yep. it. And they find a nice wall to lean exactly. into. Exactly. Yeah. And as a kid, you think, all right, well, that was noble, and, but I want to be defending the oh, Alamo, yeah. which yeah. is the whole point. You get your coonskin cap and you go out and do all that. Um, and all the movies, and of course you don't want to show an historical event uh, and have people's heads blown off by cannon balls you know, yeah. when you're seven or eight. I mean, I get that. I'm not saying that, that children's movies that have war scenes should look like Saving Private Ryan mm-hmm. at all. Um, but when that's all you see, you have a romanticized view of yeah. war. And then that's what's so compelling, I think, about maybe Platoon um, and those other movies where um, – it's maybe the cause is noble mm-hmm. and you support the cause, but you no longer have that, that rom- romantic view as of the actual battle. Right. Yeah. And that, that goes to, is the film. Because I think that the, in the, in the past movies where you would romanticize it, only the bad guys were injured or yeah. maimed. Yeah. But when you see the good guys as, as, as we define it. Yeah. Then, um, then gosh, that, that was someone's brother, father, son, yep. friend. I that's awful. Yeah. Is it a true depiction of war? Not is it showing it as if you were there. I mean, it's intentionally going to distort it, but is it is it giving you a, a true picture of it? Or is it this childlike, romanticized, you know, version of it? And I think that's where Christian approaches to movies have to be more diligent and more creative than simply does it show sin? No. Does it not? Yes. Because a movie that romanticizes war has less violence, quote unquote, but might actually do more damage it does. than right. a, a more violent movie because it, it gives you a false view of, of war and of the reality of conflict. Um, and so that's, you know, it demands a little bit deeper approach to it. Um, I think, you know, you can say the same about, um, any, you know, we've, we've been talking about violence, but any sin, is the movie glorifying it? Is it making it seem like it's cool or desirable? Or is it, you know, uh, unraveling of the destruction, you know, in the results of it? Um, 
for bringing up this. Is it gratuitous? Yeah, or is, that too. Or is, that too. Is, there, is there a point to this? Yeah. Oftentimes, sex and violence is gratuitous. You know, Almost I mean, always in Hollywood today. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I read say. an article on, uh, I think it was the Wall Street Journal, where, and I remember being in the ninth grade, uh, watching the 1960s Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Now, what I didn't realize is, and there's, there's did a- Did you watch that in class? I did. And did your teacher hold up the- she didn't cover it up, uh, but but we had to have a serious come to Jesus talk. We're going to be adults here. And, and, and ours it, ours held up the little piece of paper. Well, what I didn't realize is these poor kids were underage. Oh yeah, and and now they're suing Correct. Paramount or whomever for like fifty million. And I hope they win. Yeah, for being exploited that way. Right. Because the reason why you would want to watch Romeo, the only reason why boys wanted to watch Romeo and Juliet was was to see that fleeting scene. Yep. And I. I I don't remember what it is, frankly. Yeah. But yeah, so um, that was gratuitous. That did nothing to really tell the point mm-hmm. of the story. Uh, and that's, that's but they wanted ticket prices. I mean, tickets to be to be um, bought and sold. Right. So is it gratuitous? Um, is, it, is it necessary? Um, is, it, is, there a, is, is the context, you know, I mean, all these things are important. Um, mm-hmm. And then what's it do to the person who's, who's watching it? Yeah. Know? Uh, a great example that I just thought of is this 2015 movie called Night of Cups. Um, it's got uh, Christian Bale, you know, starring in it. It's based off of um, kind of like the tarot cards. There's I this love story. Christian Bale. Yeah, he's great. He's great. He's really, he was, he was really Jehovah's Witness for a while. I did not know that. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen the you know brutal effects of his body when he has swung from yeah. um, what was the movie when he was severely underweight? Um, the Machinist. Yeah, the machinist, and then going to uh, the political movie was it Vice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was Dick Cheney. Yeah, but this film um, is is maybe one of the most sexual films I've seen. But the entire um, premise of it is this: you know, main character Christian Bale chasing. Um, you know, joy. It's almost like a modern pilgrim's progress, chasing joy and in all sorts of failed relationships and drugs and things like that. And so the the film is sexual in nature, but it's uncovering the um, you know mistakes of that, um, right. of of the emptiness of that, and it and it does so very clearly. And so I, you know, that's a, a great example of. Um, a movie that has certain elements that we might be weary of, but it's presenting them in a in a authentic, you know, theologically sound way, showing their emptiness. Um, and that, you know, again, is just one more example of it demands a more creative approach, what we watch and what we devote our time to. But for a person to make this discerned um, you know, analysis mm-hmm. of the film, you have to have some psychological, mental, spiritual development. And maturity. And maturity. Yeah. So to be clear to people who are listening or watching, you are, you and I, I think, it's safe to say, are uh, relatively to moderately to to rabidly conservative, depending on who's defining it. Sure, we're not. We're not. You know. Um, you know. I don't know. We, we're, we're we're pretty traditional people here. Yeah. So, we're not advocating that we show that anything goes. Right. Certainly not to children or, or or to impressionable teenagers here. Yeah. At the same time, I think what we're saying, and we haven't even fleshed this out, no pun intended, before the podcast started, was, but we're also not prudes. Or Correct. Puritans on Correct. that, because that's just not life, it's and not. it's not the Bible. 
read Song of Solomon yeah. or Song of um, not Song um, yeah Song of Solomon. Yeah. The, the, that it is it is erotic biblical mm-hmm. literature. There's no, there's no other way to describe Showing it. Showing Christ's love for His church in a sexual manner. Absolutely, almost. because that was made by God in yeah. the right context. Right. Um, with the right purpose, it is beautiful, good, and holy, mm-hmm. um, and 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 life giving and free. But 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 so to to have that kind of approach is is restrictive and not healthy. Yeah. But to but all that requires discernment, maturity, mm-hmm. um, all the things we mentioned. Which is why you know parents have a responsibility to kind of monitor, monitor, yes, and, absolutely. And, and discern for themselves. Here's a good example. When I was a, you know, a young kid, um, anger and, and violence was probably one of my chief struggles, short temper. For me, violent movies was probably not going to be helpful. There might be other kids my age in a similar you know, stage of life that maybe have a better temper and have a more, more control of their emotions. And they could you know, watch a certain movie with, and not be phased by it, maybe like I was. And I think... You know, that's where parents should know their children best and should be able to say, are they mature enough to handle this? Um, what what you shouldn't do is just default to, well, the, the rating is PG-13. They turn 13 tomorrow. I'm sure it's fine. Yeah. Um, it demands a little more work on our part, which is hard. What that tells our children, though, is is that those age ratings tell us is that there has to be some preparation, mm-hmm. some development to make yeah, it even appropriate. Even society recognizes that. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I've had again, Abby's listening. You know, converse, she, we, she 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 asked me about certain horror movies mm-hmm. about is this harmful to watch yeah and i mean it's it's a fair question and you have to understand like these were horror movies that that dealt with spiritual themes like you know demon movies and which are very popular especially in october huge when i was in high school and the example i would give is um, i think one of the best movies that was made in terms of horror is the exorcist Mm -hmm. i've read the book um, um and i've watched the movie and i used to watch it a lot i used to watch it an awful lot, mm-hmm. loved it. At some point, you have to pause and ask yourself, why am I watching this movie mm-hmm. every week? Why, why do, do I, I like it, it so much? Why yeah. is it, why is it, yeah, why is it so entertaining? I think it does a decent job of presenting the the reality of evil, the church's attitudes at that time, mm-hmm. and even liturgically, I think it's you know, you know, a, a, as good as you're going to find yeah. in Hollywood is to, and I'm sure a lot of it was, and Played up. Played up. But there's a lot worse out there yep. to watch. Is there anything wrong in watching that movie uh, for if you're 19 years old? I don't think so. Is there something wrong in watching it every week? Yeah, I yeah. think so. I think you so. You might need to know that about yourself. Absolutely. And and that, it could be not just for movies with demonic themes, but violent themes mm-hmm. uh, or themes that have um, that, you know, a sexualized theme. Yep. Why do we keep going back to that? Yeah. What is it? And that's the more important question. You, you become what you enjoy. Correct. Um, I think in the midst of all of this, and this kind of goes back to the beginning, is uh, we have to have a willingness to be willing to be a little different. Than the people we may see. And and when it comes down to it, a lot of us aren't. We simply aren't willing to say that popular movie, mm, I'm just not willing to watch it because you know I know it might not be great for me. Most of us aren't willing to do that. We just, it's entertaining. I'm just not going to think about it. 
So we, we, you know, engage in whatever we want to. We watch whatever we want to as long as it's entertaining. Self-awareness and a willingness to actually deny ourselves certain things is a, is a Christian virtue. That's a good practice for us. So, you know, if you think about... Um, if that movies, self-denial brings us closer to Christ. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but when people think about, like, what movies should I watch... If you're not willing to not watch a certain movie because it might bring you closer to Christ, then you need to rethink your priorities. Is my priority my entertainment or is it my spiritual well-being? Because here's a good litmus test. Um, if you could never watch your favorite movie again, or if you could never go to church again, which one would you pick? Um, your gut reaction, you think, gosh, I really like that movie. Um, that's a, kind of a good internal litmus test of what what are we actually ranking as our most important desire in our life? Is and, it my spiritual well-being or is it entertainment? And let's let's take this approach as well. Is that oftentimes in entertainment, music, books, movies, whatever, we don't know the content until we're actually in it. Yep. You know, rarely do you know how a movie is going to be or what yeah. you're going to see until you, you may hear things, but you don't really mm-hmm. know. It, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think that. So, have you ever been? Two questions: Have you ever been? Um, have you ever read a news story that you were a part of? Maybe your name wasn't mentioned, but either a sporting event or a, an accident or something happened that you knew the details because you were there, and then you read the news article or watched it, and it was basically not at all what you experienced. I have. Yeah, I mean, a, a silly example. I think the the OU student paper interviewed me when I was a freshman, and um, I remember reading the quote, and I was like, that That's not what not I said. At all what I meant. So when you do that, then you begin to sort of have a bit of uh, distrust of of news outlets because, yeah. like, is this really what happened on that? And I even distrusted myself. I said, "Did, did, did little, I really?" You're gaslighting yourself. Yeah, on I was this. like, "Did I really say that?" So with that said, then go to um, and I know people of all professions have this experience. Like I live with a medical professional. You're watching a medical drama. And they're like, I this yeah. is so. This, I can't watch this. This is so like, stupid. This is not. This is not at all reality. Or yeah. you and I may be watching a um, a movie or a show with church context. Yeah. I'm like, come on. On the internet, the, we have whole the, Facebook groups about right. how vestments are wrong. Yeah, like, you know, when people put no the stole one, over the coat. You, you and, lose all credibility. It's yeah. not at all. Ask someone and get it right. Yeah. So, my point is, whatever your profession is, if you've seen it represented completely wrong mm-hmm. and you you have no interest in the movie any longer yeah. if we can recognize what the christian worldview is yes. and the nature of reality and what is good and beautiful and true when we see the the opposite presented or even pretending to be presented in the or, or the christian view or what is good beautiful and true presented yeah. and we recognize you know the the um, it's false from the beginning it's an imposter I think we just lose interest in it. That is such a good way to put it. And say, so I just, I, this is, so it's not that you have to always censor yourself and say, this is good, this is bad, is this, that's so boring because yeah. it's not even remotely that's, close to truth. That's such a good way to put it because I think for, for most of us, when we hear it that way, we realize that we've, we've got some work to do mm-hmm. um, because we you know, I can think of 10 examples of a movie that clearly is not a Christian worldview that we're still interested in. Yeah. And that's that sinful desire of why, why are you interested in that? Why is it so entertaining? That's a, I think that's a very helpful, articulate way of putting it. You can watch it and say, I mean, meh, fine. 
Yeah. But it's, ugh, it's just not, that's just wrong. And it's probably something we can all relate to because yeah. we've all seen a show with our profession where, oh, come on. Yeah. We just can't. Or our hometown. Or if you're from the South and yeah. you see Southerners. Yeah. All, yeah. It's just like, picked it just, as, you know, you've stupid. Lost. And so if, if, if you, if that, if, if the movie or the entertainment um, loses credibility on that aspect and you endure the rest of it, but whatever. Think about that from a perspective of faith. Yeah. Because, ah, you've lost, you've lost me. That's, that's just good. Not, that's not how things are. That's probably a, a, a great way of how we are in the world but not of the world. Yeah. And we interact with these things, but if they give us something that is not helpful, we kind of, by, by nature, um, you know, are trying to build that habit of just, okay, whatever, you've lost me. I'm, I'm not interested anymore. It's not helpful. It's not edifying. So... It's not entertaining to me anymore. The other thing I think we can do, again, is to not be is not to be Puritans and prudes and cut ourselves off, but also not be con, uh, be assumed to uh, be consumed by it um, or assimilated by all mm-hmm. of this. Is to take Paul's example in the Acts of the Apostles of when he was on the um, you know the um, Areopagus and, mm-hmm. and saying you know you've got all these yeah. gods and shrines he wasn't endorsing them but he was able to find some point of departure yeah. in those in those things to say you're hinting at it you're, you're yeah. I, I know you want the right thing but this is this is not real yeah. let me hear me out and let me make the case for mm-hmm. what is real and so he didn't walk around like um what, to, I guess to to borrow a scene from a Netflix series like the birdcage was it the birdcage what was the what was the what was the blindfold um, thing with Sandra Bullock whatever oh yeah whatever but we can't go through life wearing a blindfold it's just not going to happen Um, but we can look at things and say okay I see I see what you're yearning for Mm -hmm. and this is taking maybe a good intention way way too far Mm -hmm. and let's let's maybe talk about what is good and what is holy I'm going to put you on the spot to close this out. Um, we've talked about how the potential for movies, they can really spur us on to contemplation of beautiful things. Um, give one example of um, what you think is a phenomenal, I am pausing for a second because my computer is uh, not showing our faces, but it's saying it's still recording. So we'll, we'll check it after. Hopefully we're, why hopefully there, we're still Why going. is there a thumbs up? I'm not sure. <laughs> we we may have some technical difficulties, but we're gonna. It says recording and okay. it's showing our audio. It, it so sound good. You know, if you're watching on YouTube, we we may have glitched out at some point, but hopefully you can still hear us. And there's a strange little thumbs up in the midst of our um, in the midst of our uh, faces. Anyway, what is what is one example the best you can think of of a movie that really gets at this idea of encouraging us to think about beautiful things, justice, you know, beauty, truth. Something along that line. It's been such a long time since, um, you know, the first thing that pops in my mind is oddly is Forrest Gump, because here is the persistence of of kind of a wholesome purity, mm-hmm. and in talking about wading through all the things we've talked about, war. He was in yeah. Vietnam, um, consumerism um, um, in his business. He walked with you know, this pursuit of love and walked with her as she as she tried to find fulfillment in all the wrong mm-hmm. places, disease and all that. And, and and there was this I just I think that's such a beautiful, good movie. Mm-hmm. 
again, I saw it when I was in high school, and maybe that was important. Have you have you seen Forrest Gump? I have seen it. Yeah, yes. I just I the first thing that pops in my mind is I just I think it's just a good movie that 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 covers a lot of bases. Yeah, um, I've got two examples. One, if you're you know up for a, a very artistic movie, is Terrence Malick's Tree of Life. It is a uh, kind of all over the place narratively, which really bugs some people, but it, it is literally a meditation on you know beauty and god and creation um probably different than most movies you've heard but it is my favorite movie it is absolutely worth the watch Never if that bores it. you too much he has another movie um about blessed franz jaegerstater uh, a austrian um man on his way to to sainthood now who you know rejected the nazis and, and was ultimately put to death um, but that movie is To the Wonder, and that has more of a cohesive narrative plot. But it it deals with, um, you know, the Christian worldview. What do we do in the face of immense evil? Um, can we really make a difference? These are really deep. You can't have popcorn they with are. these movies. I mean, oh, yeah, you can. Okay. You can. But say, my um, gosh. I'm... But, you know, those are two examples. But that, that, I think those show you the, in my opinion, the heights of what movies can spur us on to. They are... They are unashamed contemplations of, of beauty and goodness. Um, they're, they're really good. So hopefully you're still hearing this. If you're watching this on YouTube, I think the audio is still recording, um, but we'll figure out the, uh, yeah. the strange glitches um, by next week. Let's close with the Our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with us all evermore. Amen.